Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Conversations on Dance is proud to have Yumiko as a continued partner in 2021. Yumiko is a company inspired by beauty and standards. As a leader in the dancewear industry, they take great pride in their impact as a socially and environmentally conscious brand. This month, Yumiko introduced six new mesh tones available for all personalized pieces. And as a summer celebration, Yumiko is offering a special in-store discount to our New York City listeners. Show that you are subscribed to Conversations on Dance at checkout to receive a 10% discount on your in-store purchase. Visit yumiko.com for store hours, and be sure to follow along on Instagram, at Yumiko, to stay up to date. The Universal Ballet Competition's 2021-2022 tour is coming soon to a city near you. Universal Ballet Competition is a premier student ballet competition, which has expanded into eight major metropolitan cities in the U.S. due to its growing popularity among dancers, studio directors, and the ballet community. Founding members Lisette Salgado and David Lucas's combined list of professional contacts allows them the privilege to recruit globally renowned dancers, company directors, and ballet school directors. These exceptional artists in the industry judge, mentor, and teach masterclasses during each UBC competition. Since its first season, UBC has hosted and mentored more than 10,000 dancers and awarded over $3 million in scholarships. Register today and experience the difference. More information and 2021-2022 tour dates available on their website, universalballetcompetition.com. That's universalballetcompetition.com. Special thanks to the town of Vail for their support of the Vail Dance Festival and Conversations on Dance live podcast recordings. This episode was recorded at the Manor Vale Lodge. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today we chat with New York City Ballet principal dancer Russell Jensen from the 2021 Vail Dance Festival. Russell was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and began his dance training at the age of six at the Rock School in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He enrolled as a full-time student at the School of American Ballet in the winter of 2005. In June 2008, he joined the New York City Ballet as a member of the Corps de Ballet, 
he was promoted to principal in February of 2017. We talk with Russell about his training, dealing with a myriad of injuries during his first few years in the company, about his fellowship at Center for Ballet and the Arts at NYU, and his love for writing. Hi, Russell. Thank you for joining us today here in Vail between rehearsals and performances. We're so glad you came over. Thanks for having me. Sorry, I sound nasal and congested from the altitude. We're up, we're up high. <laughs> <laughs> the perils of the altitude, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so can you just start by telling us a little bit about how you first became interested in dance? Yeah. So I am from outside of Philadelphia. Or I grew up outside of Philadelphia. And I... Um, my mom used to rent, uh, movie musicals for me and my sister and she rented Balanchine's The Nutcracker and I liked it. And I think I saw a live performance of it at some point too. Maybe Wissick and Dance Academy, which is one of the local places. Um, and then I, I told my parents that I wanted to do ballet and then, and the rock schools in Philadelphia, which is a really great, um, dance school. So I started in, they had a branch in Germantown when I was really little. So I started my first year there and then moved to the center city location when I was seven or eight. Yeah. So was the school doing Pennsylvania Ballet's Nutcracker at that point? Yes. So yeah. was that part of the draw there? Um, I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I, I mean, I did. I, you did I think it. I did the Nutcracker uh-huh. pretty early on. But I think I did like Rock School West's Nutcracker mm-hmm. first, and then I did Pennsylvania Ballet's Nutcracker for a couple of years. But I don't remember if I think every ballet school in the area had a Nutcracker, so right. I don't think it was like, oh, let's right. pick this one because right, we're sure. doing. And my, me and my family didn't know anything about ballet at all, so it wasn't right. like, oh, we should be in the big Nutcracker right. <laughs> in the Balanchine. <laughs> right, <room>. yeah, right. <laughs> I don't think I even registered that that was the one. Right until yeah yeah sure. yeah yeah so once you kind of like progressed through the rock school when did you start to think like i want to take this more seriously and i really want to like see this as a potential career path um well i think like when i always said i wanted to be a dancer when i was little or oh, like wow. i was like i want to be a dancer and on broadway and a writer and marine biologist or you know like whatever <laughs> the things were very ambitious right yeah I had a whole long list so i i um i i think i like always said that and then the rock school, you know, there are a lot of people who would leave and then go on to other schools. Like I, I watched a lot of people who I'd grown up with leave the rock mm-hmm. school to go to SAB or to go to CPYB right. and then like saw their trajectories. Mm-hmm. So like Andrew Scordato was a year or two ahead of me um, and Ian Hussey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I watched them both leave the rock school to go to um, SAB and CPYB respective, respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, and there are a couple, um, uh, women who went to SAB as well, like, um, Brittany Kelly, Jenna Patchell. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of like, I knew that that was the next step was going right. to some, one of these bigger schools and SAB was the one that the most people, that most people went to. And then I think when I, so I, when I got to an SAB summer intensive, um, we had Peter Bowl for variant variations and in intermediate, and he taught us the first theme and variation solo. And I remember like yeah. being really like, wow, this is not the like La Bayadere that I learned at the rock right, school. Right. I really love this and I want to do this. I mean, now when I think about theme and variations being like the draw, <laughs> it's kind of crazy, <laughs> but, but I did really like, you know, Peter Bowl focused so much on like the danciness of that variation. Right. And I really 
Um, I really love that. And I think that was the first, that's the first time that I remember thinking like, oh, this is what it would mean to be Mm. a professional dancer because I, I, it was like a, um, I registered that, you know, different places had different ways of dancing. And right. and, and I was like, oh, I, I like this a lot. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to do this. And then also, you know, being in this, the summer program and seeing the people who are there for the year. And it's like, ooh, this is exciting. I want to like go down this path that right. everyone's going down. Right. Yeah. So when did you start going down that path to SAB? Well, I went to two summer programs mm-hmm. um, when I was 14 and 15. And then I stayed for the year, um, they asked me to stay both years and then I stayed the second year. Uh-huh. So I started right after I turned 16 gotcha. wow. for my last two years of high school. That's young, but you're not too far from home, kind of. Yeah, no, not yeah. far at all. And yeah. I have a lot of family in New York oh, great. and I had even more then. So yeah. I, um, I mean, I think I went home to Philadelphia like every weekend, the yeah. first year, the first half a year that I was there. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So my memory of you at 14 <laughs> was that you were already super tall and long, um, which is like, obviously those are beautiful things for ballet. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to like accrue new technical skills and um, keep that in your body as you're growing, did you find being tall to be mm-hmm. something that was uh, difficult to cope with as you were growing up in ballet? Um I mean, I th- I think honestly, it's been more an advantage always. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I registered. I'm sure I was awkward and gangly <laughs> and like was like smacking myself with my hands or whatever. But but I re- it's really just been such an advantage to me. Yeah. Like I I'm like I'm the shape of what people want to see in on stage for a lot of things. And right. I think when I didn't have like the ability to back it up, I think that got me a lot of places. Mm-hmm. So, um. I don't know. I I it's I I think I don't think I don't remember it being hard when I was growing. Yeah. Right. I, rem- I mean well, we love that journey for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're always trying to like lead our we're not Tell doing us it consciously, but we are just like leading our guests into their like darknesses. <laughs> and now that's great that that was Well, I I mean okay. I did have a lot of I've had a lot of back issues. So I think as a professional, uh-huh. like my length has been has like um you know, presented some difficulties physically. Mm. Um, but, uh, but it's also been, I mean, like, like it, I mean, you can't deny that it's an asset in ballet to be long. Like I, I, yeah. And especially for partnering, I would think, right. That that becomes definitely an asset. So was that something that, um, at SAB, was that kind of like your, well, obviously at the rock school, you were doing some partnering. Did you get more into it at SAB or like, what was that kind of, um, learning curve for? Yeah. Sorry. I no. Rebecca's no. the rock graduate as well. I am oh, a rock really? graduate. Yeah. yeah. That's why I was we like, when she have... said obviously, because I was like, Rebecca knows that you would be drilling some partnering. Were we <laughs> yeah. there at the same time? I mean, we must no. have been there at the same time. No. Um, what year was I there? Oh, right. five? Oh, five? Oh, so oh. yeah, that's when I was at SAB. Right. You probably yeah. had just left. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cute. That's fun. <laughs> fun. I liked it. <laughs> Did you? Were you in the Marine Club? I sure was. Okay, I don't know what that is. We're <laughs> oh. going to have to talk about the Marine Club no, for a second. So, no, it's really... I wonder if they still have it. Do you know? I have, I have no idea. So, they have a floor of the apartment or condo building right across the street from the rock school. And it's the entire floor is all the kids. And that's where your dorm is and your school is there. Like, there's a whole common area. And they have, like, 
first for like going away when you're young it was a really great experience because everything's just like in one block that you need in my head i was imagining that the marine club was some sort of like elite thing like in the school like did you get into the marine club <laughs> like special <man>. like special <laughs> there was a, a level in sab for the men called special like at the beginning of the year they picked talented boys <gasps> to take this extra class and it was just called special that is not 2021 no, no they don't it have it anymore stopped before I, it was i the my first year there was the first year there was no special men really wait so are you telling me that i was in the last special no men? the year oh wait because we didn't oh yeah we had no crossover like we, we i knew of you right you were never at the no. school with me yeah were you did you do like western for your workshop yeah that was my last one. oh yeah so you were the last special man oh my god so I'm really you're special. You're the last special ever. <laughs> you're the last special man, period. Yeah. Wow. Okay. My legacy. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. And I never knew about that. Thank you for okay, bringing that to light. Russell. But I do want to talk about partnering. Though. Oh yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, so yeah, at the Rock School, I did have a lot of partnering. Christopher Fleming, who danced with American Ballet Theater and New York City Ballet. I loved him so much. Yeah. He was my partnering teacher mm-hmm. um, primarily. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Andrew Scordato and I were actually just talking about this the other day. We like, I think we started, I started in partnering class when I was pretty young. I think I was 12. And that's an advantage. Some, right. a lot of boys don't have that. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, well, I think it's gone. I think it can kind of go both ways. And mm-hmm. for me, it really like felt it wound up being an advantage because Chris would have us do like insane things. And like you just lined up in order of height, he'd pair you off. Like Andrew Scordato and I always shared the smallest person in the studio who was probably taller than us. Uh-huh. Right. And like, and then he'd be like, okay, helicopter lift, torch lift from the corner. Yes. Oh and my God, I forgot that torch lift from the corner. Torch running, lift from the corner? Running across yeah. the stage, yeah. the, the room. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I, like when I was really young in partnering, I was so scared. And there were these pillars in the back of the studio yeah. that I would hide behind. Oh my God. <laughs> like when you had to do the torch lift yeah. in the corner, everyone would line up and I would just go stand behind, behind the, pillar. the pillar. I want to really quickly, just for our audience who doesn't know what a torch lift is, tell oh, us what a okay. torch so lift is. Okay, so it's something I have not done since I was at You've the Rock You've never School, needed it. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> I think people... Anyway, it's like... Basically, like your arm is extended above your head and your partner is sitting on your hand. Right. And you're holding one, one, of, one of their ankles. So the woman is essentially a torch... That you are, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah just like, yeah, sitting here, it's completely, yeah. So like, the it's getting into it. Obviously, that's the hardest right. part, right? And it, that was, and that it, but it was, yeah. That's what I think. That's why Chris taught it. It was like this yeah. coordination. But Sorry. but Chris's partner in classes, there was like stuff from Stars and Stripes and mm-hmm. Bizet and all different ballets that I recognized once I got more familiar with the New York City Ballet rep, and and just like that, that like not. um I guess I really thrived in that, like, you know, being thrown in the deep end kind of thing. And I, so I, I went to SAB with like a lot of confidence in my ability to partner because I didn't know that you couldn't be, you like that some people couldn't do these things because right. Chris made everyone do all of it. Right. right, right and it was right. like, if you didn't do it, he would have you try it again and again and again. And I think that really like set me up to go into like Jock's partnering class right. to be like, oh, well, we're all going to have to do this. So I might as well just try right. kind of yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You just brought back so many fun memories. I love. I always loved partnering class. We would have so much fun. It was really just like 
It was wild. Yeah. Now that I look back on it, that we were doing all those things. I think so. it did not work well for some people. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. oh no, I'm sure. That's like my worst nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure for boys. Yeah. Now that I think about it, like for girls, it was fun. I'm sure for boys, it was for like intimidating to do all. Yeah, that. but I. But also, I I grew really quickly after mm-hmm. yeah. starting partnering classes, so I could, you know. Mm-hmm. Was, yeah. So did some of your first featured roles at New York City Ballet end up being partnering roles? Uh, yes. Yeah. I I think my like first Well, actually my first featured role at New York City Ballet was the gangster in Slaughter. Oh. So it was a speaking role. That's awesome. <laughs> it was like when I came I was coming back from an injury. Um for that. Yeah. I didn't I really had a hard time with it. And I also like I in my head I got a really bad review for it, but I went back and read it and it was like not bad. I like but for the gangster, right? Didn't say anything. (laughs) But like in my head, this whole time I've been like I got this horrible review for like speaking. Mm -hmm. But anyway, but that but and then I and then I think I did like Apollo and Orpheus, which is not a partnering role. Mm -hmm. And then and then I really like and then all my. And then I think I started doing featured roles because um, Chuck had just retired. John's knees were bad, so he was getting ready to retire, and Ask was injured. So there's like mm, a, all the tall men. Right. There's a real dearth of tall men. And I think, like, <laughs> I think, um, I think there was something, something else, like maybe Zach was injured or something. I don't remember. There was some, something where it was like, we need a tall person. So I did, it was mostly, I think everything I've ever gotten was. For partnering <laughs> what, were, what were some of those first opportunities um after the gangster after the gangster <laughs> i oh well i guess jenny ringer had me do like waltz project or something uh-huh. in one dancer's dancer's choice mm-hmm. yeah uh-huh. yeah but um no what were my first the nutcracker potida um and then that first season i think i did of getting like featured parts i think i did diamonds and concerto barocco mm-hmm. so I mean, you're a bunhead. You understand mm-hmm. the importance of these ballets in the balancing canon. Was that a was that intimidating for you? Uh, yeah, that it wasn't it was pretty just crazy. Like... I think. I mean, I feel like I, I like I was injured a lot when I first got into the company, and so I missed out on doing a lot of core stuff too. Like I never, I never even understudied Stravinsky Violin Concerto, which was like the nice meaty dancing for the taller men right. in the core. I like understandably I think Rosemary was like Rosemary Dunleavy who um is the I can't remember what her t- official title is now but she's one of the main um repertory directors mm-hmm. um for the core and I think she was understandably was like well I can't put this person in anything cuz he always goes out so I I really didn't do a whole lot of dancing for a while I had a couple things but um yeah I didn't ha- I didn't really have in between stuff like I didn't mm-hmm. do I didn't do I think I did Demi Diamonds the same season that I did the principal diamond. Oh, so wow. it wasn't like I did, I had like a year or two of like doing, doing slowly bigger oh, things. Wow. Like I, I, th- yeah. I think I'm mm-hmm. now that I'm saying that I'm like, my it all blends together. But, I, yeah. know, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, how many things have you danced? You can't. You don't have enough right. brain room to remember yeah. all of them. Yeah, especially you guys. Ballet, you so guys much. just. Yeah. Yeah. Your repertoire is yeah. wild. So, what was that time like? Kind of struggling with injuries there at the beginning. <laughs> There's a struggle. We found <laughs> yeah. the struggle. We're trying to lead you into the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> you get, I'm not going to cry. <laughs> it's good for people to hear about the struggles. Yeah, of course. I. It really sucked. I like. My first year in the company, I got um, 
I got to do a lot of things that like, uh, you know, as an apprentice that felt really exciting. Like I got to do first movement, Western symphony, which was like a lot of dancing for, um, being new in the company. Um, and then I did, I, I went on a couple, I went on the two tours that we did that year. So I got to do things like, um, which I, I, maybe I would have done anyway. I don't really know, but like theme and variations and the first movement of episodes and, um, Brahms handle. And there's just like a bunch of things that I got to do that were, I was really excited about. And I understudied, I was understudying like Adrian all the time, Mm -hmm. um, who was in the core then. And I, and he was obviously like about to get promoted. And I was like, there's so many things I'm going to dance. I'm so excited. I was dancing a lot. I think I got to dance, um, a bit more than some of the other apprentices. So I felt really, I just like felt so good. And then mm-hmm. I sprained my ankle, um, my first year in the core and then, and then came back for like a season yeah. cause we didn't have fall seasons then. So I came back for spring season and then during nutcracker, I herniated a disc in my back and I was like literally lying down for three months. I like, it took me like eight months to get back on stage and I had to like pick the walking parts that I was doing. Mm. And, and then it took me like a full year to get back on stage dancing. But I like picked what I was doing and like did them over and over again by myself to make sure that I'd be able to do them on stage. And I like, you know, my back was so stiff. I just like couldn't do stuff. And I was so nervous. I was like nervous for a really long time. And then I felt really good and then I sprained my other ankle the next, like the oh. next year after mm-hmm. dealing that year of dealing with the back injury. And that one like took a while because it was like misdiagnosed and I had been in a boot for a long time and I shouldn't have been in a boot. Right. So I think like the first four or five, that was like four or five years. I really like didn't, I was injured a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So was it in the back of your mind that you were like, I haven't gotten to show them enough of me yet. Like what's going to happen next if I keep going out, you know? Yeah, I think, um, I, th- I think I, it was like hard because there are some people, I watched a lot of the people who I'd got in with or who got in just after me getting to do a lot of things yeah. that I knew I really wanted to do. Like even like glass pieces, third movement. Yeah. Like I was like, I watched every person that I got into the company with do this like really exciting dancing and then, and I like never got to do it. And like West side story, I didn't get to do for a really long time. And, and then, you know, watching um, like Chase and Zach get to do all these big things, which I don't think that I would have done anyway, but I was like, am I, what if, like, am I missing out? And then, um, you know, Josh Thu, who I'm really good friends with, who's in the company at the time was doing like two and three part inventions and, um, and we was doing all these crisp ballets and I was just like, I'm not do, I'm like doing the guards in the magic flute or something. You know, it's like, I, it was, um, I think I was, I think it was like hard, but also I was injured. So I, like there wasn't, yeah. wasn't that much I could do about so it. So are you telling us that we need to do a dancer's choice where Russell just d- does his core fantasy yeah. role? <laughs> I did get to do a lot of them in like Later. the kind of, yeah. In uh-huh. that, like, did you do glass? I did do glass okay, pieces. Did, I did glass. Okay. right before I got promoted to soloist. I did like the first movement and, and the third movement. Okay. So that was, yeah, yeah. I did never did Stravinsky core. I never did Stravinsky core. So, okay. Oh. Well, we'll put Stravinsky yeah. on the program. 
Uh, we'll talk to John. He's yeah. You know, we talked to him yesterday, so we'll just make sure that yeah. Russell gets cast. That's right. <laughs> I like. I didn't do. I didn't. Like everyone did a demi and symphony and C at some point. I the first time I did symphony and C was like three years ago. I'd learned demis, but I'd never. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I yeah. So it it felt like really slow. But then when I did start getting stuff, it happened so quickly, and it's like it's hard to like. Like I can't complain like, about anything. Right, sure. Yeah, right. but it is you know when you think. Because we're just, we're merely asking you to revisit that moment. And it is like, you know, you know, hindsight's everything. But I'm sure in that, at that time, it was no a hard thing. And you yeah. didn't, it's like, it's not like you knew what was around the corner. Like, right. oh, actually, you're going to be leapfrogging all this stuff that you're wanting to do now for even better stuff. Right, right. Right. I think I, I think like when after that second ankle sprain, after my herniated disc, mm-hmm. I, I like came back and I felt really good mm-hmm. in the fall season. Mm-hmm. Um, after coming back and I was like, I know that I feel good. Mm-hmm. And if it's not going to happen here, then I'm going to go somewhere else because I want to do more than what I'm doing mm-hmm. here. And I, I think I, I don't know that I would, you know, Sure. but I was really like, I feel good and I want to dance more than right. I'm dancing. And then I started to do more. So it was yeah. good. Trained at the North Carolina School of the Arts and the School of American Ballet, at 20 years of age, Michael Lenglois was invited by Mikhail Bershnikov to join American Ballet Theater. Having seemingly made it to the top of his profession, he nevertheless spends his nights on stage at the Metropolitan Opera House, filling the gaps between the stars and the scenery, watching his colleagues dance in ways that he himself can only dream of. B+, his memoir of a 16-year career, is an unflinching view of the joys and hardships in a career in dance as well as a behind-the-scenes look at one of the most prestigious dance companies in the world during the height of the ballet boom in this country. Get your copy of B-Plus now, wherever books are sold, including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books & Books, or you can click the link in the description of this episode. We want to tell you about a product that I am currently obsessed with, the Olive & June Manicure Systems. I've heard about their products before and how they were bringing salon-quality manicures right to your home. It did take me a little while to decide to finally dive in and give it a try, but I have to say, believe the hype. Their at-home Manny systems include everything you need to get the perfect manicure, plus they have tons of online resources that offer tips and tricks of the trade. Save time and money with the perfect at-home manicure that truly lasts and lasts. I couldn't believe when I heard that their polish lasts a week or longer, but seriously, they do. I have even traveled across the country with no chip in sight, which we all know is a small miracle. They have so many beautiful colors, including gorgeous nude polishes that are perfect for on stage or in the studio. My favorite is called CCT. It would definitely be my go-to if I were still performing. Through Conversations on Dance, we are happy to offer our listeners 20% off their first-time order of any Olive and June system when you use code DANCE20 at checkout. That's DANCE20, all one word, or click the link in the description of this episode. The best way to support Conversations on Dance is to patronize our sponsors, so happy shopping! So you you mentioned that you were nervous, and that's something that really comes up a lot with people, especially who suffer like traumatic injuries like that where it takes so so long to come back so how did you kind of get over the hump of that too because that's a whole nother element not only do you need to be physically well but then you need that mental side of like i'm okay i'm healthy now i can yeah dance i mean there are a lot of a lot of things that kind of got me to that point i think one of them was like deciding that i'd be okay if i didn't dance again while my back was bad it was like this is 
this is bad. And like, I don't know that I want to wait. Like I, I just felt like my life was on pause oh, for sure. for eight months, you know, mm-hmm. or six months until I actually started trying to do stuff, you know? Yeah. And so there was an element of like, if, if I don't dance again, like I want to move forward with my life. Sure. If I don't dance again, that might be okay. Might be okay. Right. Yeah. And, and then I, uh, when I started like moving again, even before I started moving again, I had a gyrotonic instructor that I worked with mm. bef- and from my first ankle injury, um, Emily Smith. And we um, Emily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Emily's great. And she, like, she came to my apartment and just like, while I was lying on my back, like crying was like talking me through like Ugh. breathing deeply. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like Emily, like really worked with me from like not moving to like, she would hold my feet while we did, while I did like the leg unit so that I didn't have to like grip my back at all, right. like for a long time. And then, and, and so like between working with her and then I was working with Michelle Rodriguez for a while and it just like, I moved really slowly. And so by the time I was dancing, I felt like ready or I don't know that I actually felt ready, but it was like I had done, I'd done it with help for a long time. Yeah. And then, and then I, it's like my, your back is such a, um, yeah, it's really tricky and it's like very much tied to stress. And, um, you know, Ellen Barr, who was a former soloist with a company, she had had like a pretty traumatic neck injury. And she told me to, read this book by John Sarno about the mind body connection, which I think I didn't really read, but just like kind of like getting a gist, you know, Uh reading like some of it and like recognizing how much (laughs) I did have it. It changed my life. I didn't really finish it, but, (laughs) but like recognizing that there is a connection between your stress levels and your body did kind of like help me let go at different times when I was like, my back doesn't feel great, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be lying on the floor because I think, I think I had been, I hadn't understood the directions when I hurt my back. So they were like, don't do anything. And I literally did nothing. Mm -hmm. Like I literally laid on my back on my floor for three months, like slept there. I mean, I like, you know, I got up, but but that's a lot. And I, and I think I lost a huge amount of strength doing that and, and also built up a lot of stress around it. Mm -hmm. So I think I kind of recognized that at a certain point. And it's like, I think I, maybe I started going to therapy and I like told my therapist the first day, I was like, I'm, so I'm going to lie down during our sessions. And she was like, you're not going to do that. <laughs> and then, and, and I think there, so I think there was like a lot of things that kind of like helped me recognize that my stress around my back did not really match what was happening with my back. Mm-hmm. That being said, I still deal with my back all the time and it is still very stressful. And I still like have a lot of anticipatory stress about sure. like, if I do this, is it going to go out? Will I right. disappoint so-and-so by having my back go out and not being able to do it the way that we've practiced or right. not be able to do it at all? So right. just shout out to all those people, all those like healthcare people that helped you, Emily, like yeah. those, all those PT people, doctors, like they pay, play a big part when you're injured in like just so many things surrounding it, not just the physical part. Yeah. And so just shout out to those people. Yeah, really. I just wanted to say, cause I feel you. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the outside work you do, because um, I'm wondering, it's so different from what your kind of classic images at City Ballet, you, you, when we talked about you being tall and long, like it, it is easy for you to fit. I mean, I remember the first time I saw you when you were 14, I was just like a prince, like this is a prince. Mm. And um, 
but what you spend doing outside of New York City Ballet is often exploring like all these other sides and, and particularly things that kind of like deconstruct that. Is that like a rebellion or is it a curiosity or? Um, I think it's like stems from disappointment because <laughs> I think I like um, I went to the new school for a long time and I, I was taking this class with um, Julia Folks and which is, I can't remember what it's called now, art and society, something like that. And it was all about art's role, various, like the ways that art plays a role in society in different ways. So we looked at a whole bunch of different um, art practices and artists. And, um, and like for the final paper, I was like, I'm going to write about ballet, you know, (laughs) because I like could never manage to write about anything other than ballet in school. (laughs) But I, so I decided to interview um, a group of dancers about their experiences with ballet because I was like, I, I'm queer, like, but I feel like ballet offers me such freedom. And this is like, mm-hmm. what may, so my, I think my query was like, what makes ballet a place for this kind of like freedom and exploration? And like, what makes it such a great place for this? Uh-huh. <laughs> and then like everyone I talked to is like, are you sure you feel that way? <laughs> Like, I, know. I don't think that ballet does offer this space. And then, and it was kind of in that, I I think it was talking, like I talked to James Whiteside and Katie Pyle and Faye Arthurs and James and Katie both kind of like pointed out to me the benefit of looking the like physically looking the way you're supposed to look and how much of an asset that is and how much, like how large of a role that plays in, sure. in the freedom that ballet can offer. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's just something you don't consider when you're a kid. I feel like you always, you assess like, oh, these are like the best dancers in the class and blah, blah, blah. And you don't realize how important it is to fit into a role. Generally, like, you know, like cavalier type or like, right. you know, little jester person. Right, <laughs> you yeah. Know? <laughs> Pyrotechnics. Like, sure. And there isn't a lot of room for people that might just be interesting dancers if they can't fit into like these prototypes. Yeah, and I and I think I in like in that first project and then kind of like in every in a lot of the things that I've thought about or participated in outside of the company it's been like it's kind of come from that like moment of realizing how not uh welcoming ballet is for a lot of people and for some of the and for some aspects of my identity as well and um and then kind of like trying to figure out how to reconcile like you know doing well within within a career and an and an environment that is really based on so much like exclusion and mm-hmm. um and oppressive you know structures and systems that I don't really want to like uh support but really benefit right. from and right. And so trying to find ways of engaging. So I think I've been trying to find ways of engaging with ballet that, you know, kind of challenges some Mm -hmm. of those things, which is, um, you know, hard. (laughs) Yeah. Do you ever, do you ever feel like it lessens your enjoyment of some of these like hyper heteronormative roles? Yeah. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I think it, it definitely like lessens my enjoyment of the fact that I'm doing them. Mm-hmm. Like if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I, like I, the way that I like give my hand to someone on stage doesn't, I'm not like, Oh, I really have to be super straight 
when I like give my hand to Sarah mm-hmm. or Tess, you know, because I've, that's just the way that I was taught to give my hand to someone in right. ballet. So I, so it, I wouldn't say that I like feel, um, in like recognizing this, like the, like this presentational way of giving my hand to someone that is like really relies on reading as hetero and super like masculine. I don't think like, Oh God, like this is so, i like feel so constrained by doing it this way. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. But like when I think sometimes when I think about like what it is that I, me and my partner are embodying on stage, I'm like, Oh, that's kind of a bummer. But I also feel like, especially in the last couple of years, like I don't feel like I have to do mm-hmm. the things that I know are, are expected of people in some of these roles. Like I think I can, I think that these ballets can be just as beautiful if it's two people who care about each other dancing together. They don't have to be a man and a woman who are in love or who are having sex mm-hmm. off stage or whatever. You know, it's mm-hmm. like. Yeah. I, I get that there is that tension in some of the roles that really add something, but I'm not going to have that. And I'm not, I'm not interested in like faking that in any way. So I, for me, I think what I, what I get a lot of enjoyment out of now and what I've tried to focus on more is like creating intimacy and like real relationships with the people that I'm dancing with. So it's not about us being, you know, embodying some sort of like relationship idea, ideal or like, um, dynamic that's based on the fact that I am a man and she's mm-hmm. a woman. Like mm-hmm. I'm, tr- I try to just like think about how we're two people dancing together more. And so yeah. I think that that's, um, yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you have anyone in mind that you can think of as really helping contribute to, like bringing these ideas to a, a large ballet stage, you know, like a, a, all the projects you do are amazing, but they're, you know, they can be, they're for an audience that is like ready to consume it. And what we're talking about is like kind of making change within people that are used to seeing like Siegfried Odette style. Do mm-hmm. you mean like a choreographer? Like a choreographer or, or a director? Well, I feel like, um, like I love watching Mark Morris dance group mm-hmm. because I really think that, while like there are very like gendered aspects of some of the, the dances that Mark Morris does. Like, I think that it's really about human connection. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I don't know. Well, you know, it's, I mean, just you saying the word human connection is like what people, for instance, bring up, of like when you're talking about dances at a gathering, which was performed last night. Um, and that's like all everyone says, you know, it's about human connection. It's not performative. It's not for an audience. And then, but it's so gendered dances is, and so many Robins things are. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, I don't want to, I don't mean to be like armchair psychologist to a dead person, <laughs> but you know, it often seems like maybe Jerry was like doing this as a reaction to his own sexuality. Mm. But, um, like, do you think we, is there a way to take those masterworks and like take some of that, like, to me it's unnecessary, but maybe some people feel like it's removing a tradition that like neuters it, you know? Right. I mean, I think there's so much space in like a lot of the works that we do for, um, for them to be done differently. Mm-hmm. Like, 
I don't think the concert should be done anymore. I'm going I'm going on record. <laughs> I don't know what you could do to it. I love the mistake waltz. I think it's brilliant. Right. But maybe just an excerpt. I just that. don't know about the whole ballet. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I love Fancy Free, and the last time I watched it, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you would have to, I think you'd have yeah. to coach that, like, really delicately, and you have to ca- cast a purse girl. Rebecca. I did <laughs> Rebecca it. Rebecca did. I can girl. see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'd have to cast that was someone part of who's, the, like, really uh, very strong, and it's, I don't know. It's it was part of the conversation, though, yeah. for sure. No, be, that's good. Yeah, that there's be, a conversation. Yeah, to be sure to be asserting yourself as well in that um, yeah. situation. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing um, at Center for Ballet and the Arts at NYU? Yeah, well, I I have not been a fellow there for a couple of years now, but mm-hmm. I... Oh, what you did do then. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was there. They have the their fellowship program. I think you can do it for like three or six months and then they have like more resident positions. But um, at the time I like applied with a very like half-baked idea and I'm like so grateful to them for giving me this fellowship because it really like helped me like move me in a different direction. But I, I think I, I applied to do I, I'm like trying to decide if I actually want to say this out loud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. <clears throat> so basically I applied to write like a, to, for, um, for the fellowship to get support, to do research for, a writing project that I think I pitched as like kind of auto fiction mm-hmm. based around the Balanchine ballet, Robert Schumann's David's Bundlertanz and the dancer, Adam Luters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really wanted to work with Adam in the studio. And I thought that, and um, for a time he was like hesitant about working with me if it wasn't like officially sanctioned by city ballet, which gotcha. I completely understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to come up with a way that was like really official Mm -hmm. to bring him to work with me on this ballet so that I could, um, interview him and be in the studio with him and then write about it. Um, um, so that was, it was a way of getting studio space that in like a very official capacity, it was a way of Mm -hmm. being like supported for research and it was a way of making myself write about ballet in this way that I thought I really wanted to write about it at the time. Um, and then right after I got the fellowship, Peter left the company shortly after that, um, Zach, Amar and Chase, they left mm-hmm. the company and, mm-hmm. and there was just like so many conversations about ballet and ego and what it meant to be like a principal dancer occupying space in a studio mm-hmm. that my idea just seemed like so badly timed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just wasn't interested in it right, anymore. At that moment, yeah. Um, and so and the and um, CBA is great because they're like they give you the space and they give you the support and then you can really do whatever you so want. So cool, yeah. Yeah. So I really like pivoted um, while I was there. Um, I spent a lot of time writing about um, David's Bundlertanz, and then I also interviewed a lot of people about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Who were some of the people you talked to? I talked. Well, I talked to Adam mm-hmm. a lot. I talked to a lot of the dancers who I had performed it with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I talked to ask um LaCour because we'd shared a role mm-hmm. Jared because he'd done multiple parts in it um I asked Rachel Hutzel who's a who who was a young core member at the time and I think is now probably senior core I asked her to watch it because I don't think she'd seen it before and then I asked her about it and I t- uh, like talked to her about how she felt about these people in the ballet mm-hmm. and what she thought about the ballet in general I talked to Silas I talked to Jacques D'Amboise I talked mm-hmm. to Heather Watts both original cast members. Yes, both as well. original cast yeah. members. I think I like 
I asked Kay if she'd talk to me, and she's like, oh, I don't think I'd have that much to say. Kay always does that. Kay loves loves to shy away. And I think I talked to other... Oh, I talked to Susan Walters, who played it for us in rehearsals, and she was close with Gordon Belzner, who was the original Original pianist. Um, Did you get to talk to Karen, or was this after she had passed? This was after... It was right after she had passed, yeah. But there's the Balanchine... um, there's the interviews with her, right. like Anna Kisselgoff was talking to her about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I spent, so during the time I was there, Adam did come and worked with me and Tess in the studio um, at CBA. And I spent a long time writing I um, and doing different stuff with the interviews and it's gone nowhere. <laughs> I was going to say like, like, like to give you the space. It's yeah. just like yeah. to, to nourish yeah. your own. And, it's, and I've, yeah. and like this whole, I've been re- since since then I've like really been writing about ballet a lot. And that really, that time there like really laid, um, uh, like a very strong foundation for all of this different writing that also is just like a big mess on my computer, but it's like, it was, um, really great to like have, um, the idea that I could write something, be taken seriously and to then be in conversation with other fellows. Are we putting this on a book someday? Is that, part of the plan sometimes that seems like the plan and then other times i'm like this is, the, I'll, I'll just like donate all the interviews to the library <laughs> so uh when did you first become interested in writing then was it while you were at school or i i think my like my a lot of people in my family right like my sis i it's like another it's like a thing that i didn't really realize that people didn't do like it my, like comes very naturally to you yeah or it's yeah. just like something that i kind of thought I don't, I don't actually you know. Maybe everyone else was just like up on the, in their private time writing like you were. Yeah. <laughs> well, like my, like for Christmas, I know, I know that this is not typical, but like for Christmas every year, my aunt would write a book for me and my sister. So like every year we'd get a book that she'd written for us, like, uh, uh, yeah. So, um, so <laughs> that's so cute. Yeah. I mean, she's all, she's also like a children's book writer. Uh-huh. So sure. she's like. It's something that she was doing anyway, but I think it started so out special. that she would write us books. And I don't mean like stories, like she wrote us books. Wow. <laughs> um, and then, and my mom writes a lot. And um, so me and my sister, I think like wrote stories all the time when we were little. And then, and then um, during one of my injuries, I don't remember, I applied to go to the new school and they have um, like an honors writing program, the Riggio honors program. And so that's how I applied. I applied to the new school through this program um, because writing uh, is something that I've always enjoyed doing. And I, um, and I knew that I would never like want to take math classes or like yeah. statistics yeah. or something. So I applied to a writing program. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Are you a big reader too? Or? Yeah. Okay. But you didn't read that one book. I know I did. <laughs> oh wow, that's extra shade on that book. <laughs> no. I don't read a lot of like non. I didn't. I yeah, nonfiction is not my thing as much. Okay. So, but as a writer, though, is that what you you'd be primarily interested in writing fiction or? I when I was when I was at the new school at first, I only was writing fiction, mm-hmm. and then when I started writing about dance. I tried making it fictional and it just like felt irresponsible because it's like, I was just, I wound up like fictionalizing myself and then writing about everyone else. Right. And it's like, that's not really, that's not what the way to do it right right now. So, so I've been, so most of my, the dance writing that I've done has been, um, uh, like about my experiences or about other people's experiences. So 
at some point when the career comes to an end with ballet, is that something that you want to explore? Or do you want to try to stay within? I mean, this maybe is a way to stay within ballet, right? If you're writing about ballet or do you have a different path in mind? Um, I, I mean, I, th- I like writing a lot, so I th- I hope that I'll keep writing in some capacity. Yeah. I don't know that it, you know, I don't think that like, I don't know that I have it in me to be like, to be like, I'm going to be a writer now. Cause I, th- cause I thought like the amount of hustle that that yeah. requires oh is gosh. like insane. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I'm not great at that. Like, you know, I've, I haven't like made a big life decision since I moved to New York at 16. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, <laughs> That's intimidating. Yeah. Of course. Um, so I don't think that I, I, I hope that I keep writing and I think, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'm hoping it's an asset in the job market when I like go. do like look of for course. something. Right. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I want to work. I don't think I'd want to like stay within like the, like ballet company community. Like, I don't think I'm, yeah, I don't, I'm not really sure. I'm yeah. not really sure. I like, I, I've really enjoyed, um, um, like various ways of engaging with the arts that are not the way that we all did right. as professional dancers or do as professional dancers. Um, so I, I'm like, you know, I've thought about going down different avenues yeah. where it's like maintaining connection to the arts in some way, but right. yeah. It's so funny when you ask some dancers, they'll say, I don't know because they've like never thought about it, but you have like so many options <laughs> that, right. That it's not like you've never thought about this before. No, I've definitely so many, thought about it. Yeah. So many different <laughs> options, which is so cool. You can yeah. like, take it wherever you want. Yeah. So you say you're writing a lot about ballet and dance right now. Are there other subjects that kind of pique your interest that you like to? Um, I do. I, a lot of the writing, that I do even about dance, like focuses on queerness and like, um, kind of what we were talking about earlier, like space for queerness Mm -hmm. in different places. Um, yeah, I think that's, I mean, this makes it sound like I write all the time and it's like, I, I wish that I had like a robust writing practice. I have like, you know, projects that I've worked Mm -hmm. on, but yeah, mostly, mostly I've just been writing about dance and queerness. Mm -hmm. So I flicked through an interview Marina Harris did with you and you're talking about Balanchine being um, the sublime and that now it maybe feels irresponsible or something along those lines to be delving into that, like with new art. And I think about this a lot too, where it's like ballet, I mean, yes, something like Agon is like radical and it was very important that Arthur and Diana were on stage doing this pot together in that moment. But like when you think about movements like black lives matter and you look at like the ballet rep there isn't a lot that like translates like that what do you think especially since you're very invested in um you know probing these ideas about queerness and gender identity within dance like how can new works like explore that in a way that doesn't feel i guess heavy-handed or something yeah um, I mean, I think it's like, I think we're kind of in a weird place with ballet right now because there isn't even like, <clears throat> you know, there isn't even representation in the ballet community or like, um, really visible. Right. There, I mean, there is like, there are gr- amazing people in the ballet community who are doing, who do represent more than just like straight, straight cis, white <laughs> Um, heterosexual, you know, there are, there are, there is that in the ballet community, but it's not like, it's, it's not the norm in a way where I feel like 
it's it doesn't become about it when it's on stage in a way. And I think so. I think like a big thing is, I think like the biggest, the biggest. I don't know. I feel like like how how ballet training is done is really part of it. Is like such a big part of it because I feel like there's, um, you know, if 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 ballet training weeds out all you know any sort of yeah. yeah these voices or any sort of like real meaningful diversity, then it's not going to make its way to companies because for better or for worse, ballet relies on, you know, a certain, like your ability to be there a certain amount of days a week right. and like, you know, or all, all sorts of things. And, and like putting in, it really relies on putting in time. You can't like learn how to do ballet in three months, right. you know? Yeah. And then, and then be a, professional dancer have yeah. won an Oscar for that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, f- I think that, yeah, I think that like ballet training and how, and what is like, um, like the, what's like privileged and what's prioritized in young dancers and in the people who are encouraged. I feel like that's, it feels like a long game a little bit. And I know that that, I don't mean that as an excuse. Like, I don't think that that means that we should be like, Oh, well let's just wait to like address all this stuff until companies look different. Like I don't mean that in any way, but I think that there's, I think it's, um, I think it's just, it's like, I don't see how it's not going to be a struggle against what has existed for so long. If there's not this like push to shift who, who, ultimately winds up being included in in the professional ballet community. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. It was so much fun and I can't wait to see you on stage tonight. Yeah. And in the night. Ah Ooh, there's ooh, thunder. thunder right <laughs> after you said that. Ominous. Um, yeah. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank Thanks, you. Cecil. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 